TubeCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the Executive Director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. ago this month, a massive fire swept through downtown McKeesport. It destroyed the former famous department store, the Elks Lodge, the old Market Street School, and several other buildings, and also heavily damaged the Memorial Theater, which never reopened. On Sunday, May 15th, retired firefighters and other residents gathered at the McKeesport Regional History and Heritage Center to discuss their memories of that fire that happened on May 21st, 1976. That blaze caused $5 million in damage, roughly $20.9 million in current dollars to the McKeesport Business District. More than 40 fire departments from throughout western Pennsylvania fought that fire. We thought we would bring some of the discussion to you this morning. My name is Jason Toger. I am the executive director of uh, Tube City Community Media. I am also uh, a board member here at the Heritage Center and I want to welcome all of you, especially those who maybe this is your first time here. I um, was wondering if we could get the uh, firefighters here to uh, introduce themselves. They're retired firefighters. And now tell us how many years you were in the fire service. Uh, Paul Wasso, I was 28 years. Joe Matta, 38 years. Jim McGinty, uh, 29 years. Bill Astrid, 22 years. Let me describe first of all sort of why what happened happened. And, and, and for those of you who are a little bit younger than me, it's, it's hard to remember. It's hard to remember when Fifth Avenue and McKeesport was full of stores on both sides all the way down. Um, but if you know what downtown Irwin looks like with the old buildings right up against each other in the very narrow street, that's very much what Fifth Avenue looked like from the river up to where City Hall is now. What you're looking at right now is the corner of Lyle Boulevard and Market Street. This right here where you see the Goodyear and the appliances sign, uh, that is where the check cashing place is now. This is still the state store. Um, This corner lot here is vacant. Um, This lot here is where the famous was. That's the building that sort of started this whole thing off. Um, That is now the uh, National Steelworkers Old Timers Foundation, I think. Before that, it was the the new Elks Club, because the old Elks Club, as we're going to talk about today, burned down in this big fire. So this building here that was the famous... Michelle, do we have a picture that we could bring up of that? That's okay. We're sort of improvising this. Here we go. Go back. Okay, here we go. So this building was built in 1926, ironically, after another fire. Uh, there had been a department store there, um, and it burned down in 1924, 25, and they built this new one. Unfortunately, as these guys are going to tell you, the building was built out of wood and iron, um, and then was remodeled over and over and over again. Um, one of the things they did, this used to have windows all the way up and down the front of it. It was about a five-story building. They put these metal tiles up over top of it to cover it up. Um, so you had this very old building that was, at the time, 50 years old, that was empty, that had been remodeled a bunch of times, and now was being torn down. And as uh, Michelle read in the article, they were disassembling, again, ironically, 
the water tank on the roof that once fed the sprinkler system. Um, so, of course, there was no water in the water tank. There was no water in the sprinkler system. And um, you kind of unfortunately had the, 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 the perfect uh, combination of events here. So, with that, I'm going to start asking some questions of our uh, firefighters. Who was working that day? Put your hands up. Okay, so Joe Matta was working that day. Mr. Wassel, you were called in. I was called in. Okay. I was off that day. You were off that day. Um, one of the things that, uh, uh, when I talked to these guys beforehand, one of the things they told me was a bunch of firefighters were laid off at the time. And I was, it was, it was Tom Balin, are you still here? Yeah, here it is. Were, were you one of the ones who was on the train? Okay. We had just had a court hearing regarding the layoff status, and we were on a train returning to the Keysport, and the conductor told us the city's burning down. Of course, we laughed when he told us that. We thought it was a joke. He, uh, we thought he only said that because we lost our jobs. But we, he elaborated and said that they called them on the radio. And they said there was a terrific fire in McKeesport, and it started at the famous building. So you were, you were coming back from downtown Pittsburgh That's on a train, correct. and the conductor says, McKeesport's burning down. That's what he told us. Okay. Uh, what station were you at at the time, uh, Paul? I was working on a number, I think it was a number three. So we have four fire stations in the city at that time. Right. Okay. I said I was off that day, then I got called in, and uh, as soon as I arrived there, I was told to uh, get a line and go to the 6th Street Garage and protect the church that was located on uh, Market and 5th Avenue. So we spent a lot of time up there just hosing that church down to make sure it didn't get catch fire. Uh, Joe, where were you at at that point? I was working number one. You were at number one? I was working at number one, and uh, at that time, in the fire department, we worked the eight-hour shifts, like from eight in the morning till four o'clock, and then from four to twelve, and twelve to eight. And uh, what it was, you usually came in early, about three thirty or so, twenty after three, and you uh, came in, changed your clothes, and then you would uh, relieve your uh, other firefighter there. So it uh, just so happened we came in and uh, we sat down, changed our clothes, and we, were, had the news, we always had a newspaper there from the Daily News and we were looking at newspaper. And one of the uh, ironic things we always said was uh, a nice day for a famous fire <laughs> because it would be, uh, we were always worried about it because the famous, as you uh, somewhat aware of, they had uh, hardwood flooring in there, and they were like 15, 18 foot ceilings between each floor. And was and, it you that told me they used to oil the and, floors and to they, keep the dirt down? Right, they would oil the floor and sweep it to keep the dust down and that. So we always thought, boy, if this ever goes, we're really gonna have a fire, you know? And uh, so we were sitting there and as we was looking at the newspaper, Fowler came running down. You're talking about uh, the chief Fowler. The fire chief, David yeah, Fowler. Okay. David Fowler. Fowler. He came running down and he says, uh, the famous is on fire. And we all looked at each other and laughed and kept looking at the newspaper. 
he ran back up into his office, came running back down, grabbed, I don't know which one of the guys he grabbed, he grabbed him, pulled him out of front of the station, and he pointed towards the building, and you could see smoke coming out. He says, look, it's on fire, and we all just then jumped up, realized what, we jumped in our car, in the rigs, rather, and we went over and down Gibson Way there, which is uh, by the bridge, and turned on to Fifth Avenue by the Penn McKee Hotel. Now, when you, when you got there, uh, what was showing, smoke or flames? or Just what? smoke coming up. Okay. So Fowler, and uh, who was at that time that I remember, was working with um, Jesse Coleman, Don O'Toole, uh, myself, and uh, Dave Fowler, and uh, Pete Margolotti. And here, uh, they brought the trucks around the um, Fifth Avenue by the Pemmakee, and Jesse Coleman, Fowler, and someone else took an inch and a half and ran up the side of the building there, or the fire escape. By what you mean a fire hose, inch and a half yeah, wide right. fire hose, okay. And dragged it up to the top of the building. As they got to the top, then it really started going, something flew off the roof there, came down and landed on the inch and a half and cut it in cut, half. Cut the fire hose. Right. So then they came down and Fowler said, started seeing what was happening. There was like a downdraft starting and it was coming out the side of at the basement of the uh, first floor of the uh, building. Started coming out and he said nobody to go back up on the up on a fire. So stick. they were tearing down this building. So the windows were already broken out of it on the first floor, and right. they were cutting holes through the floors to drop the debris down. Right. So you kind of had a chimney there. Right. Okay. And then it, what was happening? It was actually a downdrafting coming down, and that, and it was coming out when it started coming out of the side here on Fifth Ave on uh, Fifth Avenue. And then he told everyone, you could start seeing smoke or something like that. And he said, for nobody else to go back up on a building. So then uh, I went up after that, uh, dragging some hose off and that. I went up on top of the Penn McKee Hotel, and I believe uh, Willie Astrab was up there, and uh, Castro and I, and we hoisted a two and a half up there, a couple lines up to the top to try of the building, to spray on top of top the, of the building there. So, that Paul, was, you were at station number three, which was where then? I think they grabbed that microphone. Right? That was on Evans Avenue. That was as they were, That was what's now the ambulance garage. Right. Okay. Um, so they called all. There were four fire stations. There was the Grandview station. There was the Evans Avenue station. And East End. And the East End yeah. fire station and the downtown fire station, which is still there on Lyle right. Boulevard. Right. Um, and they called all you guys. Into downtown. Right. Okay. When did they start calling guys in who were off that day? Uh, it was pretty quick. In fact, they had a company in my house, and uh, I could see the smoke coming, and I knew, you know, it's only a matter of time we'd get called. So I think I left before I got called. Okay. And like I said, when I arrived downtown, uh, first thing I was told was get a line, go get a line, get up on a 6th Street garage and protect that church. So that, that was my... That's the job. church that is now, I think, the Judah Fellowship, but it was the Emmanuel Presbyterian yeah, Church right, on the corner. Right. Okay.
Support for this broadcast comes in part from the McKeesport Hospital Foundation, celebrating 36 years of supporting community health programs and services for you and your family. The foundation works with UPMC McKeesport as well as through the Mon River Fleet Partnerships in Braddock, Clareton, Duquesne, and McKeesport. If you would like to make a donation to the McKeesport Hospital Foundation or find out more about it, visit mckhospitalfoundation.com or call 412-664-2590. You're listening to a panel discussion recorded live on May 15th, 2016 at the McKeesport Regional History and Heritage Center. The subject is the massive fire that caused $5 million in damage to the downtown McKeesport Business District on May 21st, 1976. That's 40 years ago this month. We are talking right now to retired McKeesport firefighters. Um, Jim, you were off that day, I think? Uh, Yes, it was my crew that uh, had the fire. I was off, and uh, I heard of the fire, and I went down. By the time I got there, the fire had spread up to uh, 9th and Jenny Lynn, and the chief sent me with poor, I'm always positive, it was poor view volunteer fire company struck. We went up there and caught a line, and uh, went and put the house out. So, so, the, so what was happening then was the stuff was coming off the roof of this building, getting Correct. picked up in the air and then they carried by the wind and now you had a fire at the corner of 9th and Jenny Lynn Street which is four or five blocks away. Blocks away, away correct. Okay. So when did the neighboring buildings start to catch on fire then? Well, it probably only took me 15, 20 minutes to get down there and okay. by that time they were burning. Pa- Paul and Joe, when did uh, the, the Elks, which was next door and the when did those K-Dars. buildings start to get? Kadars was across the street? Well, like I said, I was up on top of the Penn McKee Hotel, mm-hmm. so I couldn't tell you on that. Because okay. there I was just, uh, we were just having line uh, pouring water on the building from where we were at. And uh, like I say, the, there's a, like a wall going around it about almost three feet high. And I know I was laying down holding the hose there because the intense heat was coming our, I mean, we was getting some of the heat our way, but thank God the fire didn't come our way. You know, everything was blowing towards town. So that's where I spent most of my day was, and night was there up on the Pembekee roof there. Michelle, I wonder if we could get one of the overhead uh, aerial pictures up here to show you. Somebody can find Michelle. We'll uh, get one of the overhead uh, pictures up there. Paul, where where were you at, at this point? I was still on a garage. I, I was you were on the Sixth Avenue garage, right? Okay. And uh, I really couldn't see over there because all that smoke was blowing over toward our area. So we just more or less constant, you know, traded on the church over there okay. to keep that up there. I think there was two of us up there. We spent about eight hours there. So eight hours. Yeah. Okay, beginning at about 4 o'clock. Yeah, right. Okay. Tom, I know you didn't really want to talk. You're very reluctant because you were off that day, but you ended up getting off the train and helping. Grab the microphone by you. And Sorry. Well, as I had mentioned before, we came back from Pittsburgh. There was six firefighters, I believe, and uh, no, altogether, there was probably eight firefighters on a train. And we come back, and naturally, we understood what was happening before we got into the city. And as soon as we got off the train, we didn't have any problem finding a fire. <laughs> so we all walked up to the area. 
of uh, the famous. And I remember that uh, my, I didn't have any safety equipment to wear, but I remember I started pulling hose. There was a big problem with the, as you can see in this photograph that we have up now, you can see all the hose on the ground. In fact, and that's Chief Fowler there. And I remember I was pulling hose up Fifth Avenue towards the famous, to this area where he's standing now. I remember doing that. And not just me, uh, many people. In fact, a lot of people, though, some of the people who uh, volunteered that were even in the crowd that went down towards Water Street and helped to drag hose up towards the fire scene. And uh, essentially, the debris started to come out of the top of the building. And as, as Joe mentioned, it got to be so bad, you had to get away from the building. And we were told to get away from the building, get out of the area, because we didn't have any safety equipment. You were still in your street clothes, because you That's had just correct. come from Pittsburgh. That's correct. Okay. And the, uh, one of the, uh, I'm not sure who it was, but they said, we need men on Locust Street. In the 1000 block of Locust Street, the houses are starting to burn on the 1000 block of Locust Street. So, um, I guess me and uh, I, me and I believe Ron Liebertor was one of the fellows with me, and I can't remember who else was up there. We got in a police car. That's how they took us up there. And essentially, and in fact, that picture's on a script up there too. I think it's where it shows Locust Street. There it is. There's Locust Street. And uh, that's a retired firefighter on the far left-hand corner there, Randy Dry. He was also off. He wasn't working, but he was there. He volunteered his help to try to help the firefighters in that area. So the worry was that these houses were starting to catch. This is, this is like almost 10 blocks left, away yeah. are starting to catch fire now. Yeah, there's about two or three houses on the left side of that photo where they're catching fire. The roofs were catching fire. And what we did, we assumed the houses were going to go because there wasn't much of a any fire department there to really manage the fire. Because and the fire department was all down trying to take care of this big fire downtown. That's correct, okay. yeah. There was just, just wasn't enough manpower or equipment available. And what we did, we carrying furniture and belongings out of the homes and putting them on the street to keep them from becoming consumed by the fire. Michelle, I wonder if we could go back to the one of the overhead aerial shots. Support for this broadcast comes in part from the McKeesport Hospital Foundation. Since 1976, the Foundation has addressed key concerns that affect our good health, as well as our education, social needs, recreation, safety, and security. The Foundation partners with UPMC McKeesport and other agencies to eliminate barriers to all services for all residents of the Mon Valley. Visit mckhospitalfoundation.com or call 412-664-2590. Forty years ago this month, a massive fire swept through downtown McKeesport. It destroyed the former famous department store, the Elks Lodge, the old Market Street School, and several other buildings that also heavily damaged the Memorial Theater. You are listening to part of a panel discussion about that event. It was recorded live May 15, 2016, at the McKeesport Heritage Center. The, sort of the size of that building took up that whole block there between uh, Market Street and the Penn McKee Hotel, which is still there. Now, if you want to keep going forward, thank you. So, there's where the fire started. Like I said, uh, I was, the whole time I was just up on the roof there, I, I, don't, I don't know what was happening. I was just oh, okay. pouring okay. water on the roof. 
I was up there on uh, 9th and uh, Jenny Lynn at the house fire there. And uh, as far as what was going on down there, I really didn't know. What, what was the cooperation from the volunteer departments? Because uh, one of the things that Michelle pointed out was that um, 40 different communities, volunteer fire departments were involved here. Well, they were very helpful. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I think it still would have been burning. <laughs> <laughs> and at the time, I think there's, the Keysport probably had 60, 70 firefighters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're today, I think you only have. 20. Okay. Okay. How far away did they come in from? I think one of you guys told me that uh, Wilkinsburg and Pittsburgh sent firemen. I think there was a 100-foot ladder truck come in from Pittsburgh. Now, I don't know whether they used it or not, but it was down on the boulevard. And uh, we had quite a few ladder trucks, yeah. Tell us a little bit about the weather, because Michelle, when she read the story from the Daily News, she talked a little bit about how bad the winds were, as mentioned in that story, but how, what was the weather like, the winds like? Well, like I said, it was a sunny day, and that it was a little humid in that, and uh, I th think that's what happened. Like you said, the fire was going up, then after a while, it just went to a downdraft, and then you, as on some of the other photos you saw, it just, the fire went from the building across the four-lane uh, road of uh, Market, Market Street. Street. And uh, the, actually saved the town to some extent was the Memorial Theater because of that brick uh, wall it had. Michelle, can we go back thing. a couple pictures? Thank you. Right there. Stop. Thank you. So there so, is the side of the Memorial Theater. Yeah, it was going this, this way here. And... From what I understand, the wall there really saved the town. Although, from what I understand, I knew uh, Kadar's on the corner there. Leonard worked there at Kadar's, and he told me people were in the building there standing watching it. And then finally, uh, he felt it was getting too hot, and he asked everyone to get out. And it was a matter of like five, seven, eight minutes, the place just ignited, just caught on fire. The heat was so intense. And then also there was a card shop, I think, next to it, too, and a couple other the, uh, meat store and that. But that, that was it. And then they was worried about the pen, I mean, the Rig, Riggs's drugstore. That's right here. Right. But it didn't make it that far. But you, on this is one where of Natalie's store right. is now, but Natalie's store was, I think, over here, and Bart was one of the stores that burned. Yeah. Well, you had... Riggs is there, and you had Dad and Lad's uh, men's store and the Union Clothing on the corner there. And uh, here, uh, that caught on fire. Like I said, famous just spontaneously caught on fire. And that, but on one of the pictures you have there, you could see how intense the fire was and heat that ignited that building right away. Michelle, can we move through the pictures there? Okay, now this is sort of the aftermath. I guess yeah. the next morning you see the wreckage right. of what the famous looked like and took up that whole block on that side of the Penn McKee, and some of you guys were up on the roof there. That was another thing okay. about... So stop here. Right. I'll go back one. There we go. So there's the front of the Memorial Theater, what was then called the McKee Cinemas. Right. There's the Farmer's Pride you were talking about. 
So the, all these, there were buildings all the way here, and all of those buildings were occupied, and they were all gutted by the fire. Yeah, you had a, uh, next to Farmer's Pride, I believe, was a card shop, and then uh, Kador's. Co no, the Coney Grill's on the other side. Right there. I'm saying on this side, it's burned out. There was a card shop here and then Kadar's on a corner here. And that. How, how, how long did you guys, when did you guys get a break? I guess would be my first question. I don't, I don't remember. Just up there. I, I mean, you were talking about eight-hour shifts, but uh, when, when did you guys uh, get some sleep? Uh, I think it was the, pretty close to morning before I left. Because uh, after that, we had to go down and help, you know, straighten some things out with the equipment and everything. And then uh, I think we were released around four in the morning or five in the morning or something like that. And things were still burning up. Things were still burning up until about yeah. midnight, is my understanding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So one, one thing it was that year in '76, what we had just got was two new pumpers. And a, la and a scope, so that was really uh, newer equipment that we, only newer equipment that we had at that time. So we were very fortunate to have those uh, vehicles. Fire firefighting is still a, a dangerous job, but um, you, I was asking some of you guys before we started what some of the equipment you had, what was the state of the art in 1976. And, and one of the things, you know, every fireman now has a radio. Did you guys have portable radios? No. Okay. Uh, air packs. Every firefighter now carries a carries a bottled air. Well, we had air packs, but uh, we had to use them limited because we didn't have any way of refilling them. And uh, what we always did was, if we air, if we used those tanks, and we only had so many tanks, spare tanks on top of it, we had to take them to Glassport to. Uh, uh, the Get copper the well there, and uh, they would uh, fill them up for us. So, someone told me a story that Chief Fowler used to say that if he, he heard the, when the air tank empties out, the, their bell rings. Yeah. And every time he heard that bell ring, he was, what did he say? Stop using those tanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was. This was tested in the station. I think it was. Uh, okay. No, no, that was more or less when we were, when we would get our gear on in, at the station oh, okay. and sometimes we'd be you trying it on, out. checking it out, and you had to make sure the tank was uh, yeah. filled, so you had to turn it on and then turn it off, and then as the air depleted from the uh, unit, you would hear the, the bell go bell off. Ring. <laughs> but no portable radios, you had bunker coats yeah. and helmets and fire. How did you keep in contact with each other if you're working at a fire, just hollering? Yeah. That's it. One thing to keep in mind is that um, the, the aftermath um, of this fire, they estimated the damage was $6 million, I believe. If you did that in today's money, it would be about $21 million. Um, the city of McKeesport, uh, obviously this was the biggest disaster that ever hit the city. Um, the city of McKeesport asked the uh, state of Pennsylvania for help and was told no. I, I want to thank these uh, uh, firefighters, Paul Wassel, uh, Joe Matta, uh, Jim McGinty, 
and I can't remember. Willie Azrap and um, uh, Tom Balin for, take, for taking the time to come down here and talk with us. And I want to thank especially all of you for taking some time to, to come down and hang out with us and tell us your stories. That's, it was very important, as uh, Tim was saying, to get the community stories here. So thank you very much. So. And that's been part of a panel discussion that was recorded on location at the McKeesport Regional History and Heritage Center discussing the 40th anniversary of the massive fire, May 21st, 1976, that destroyed much of the central McKeesport business district. We'd like to thank the board of directors of the McKeesport Regional History and Heritage Center. also like to thank Michelle Wordle-Eggers and the McKeesport Firefighters Union, International Association of Firefighters, for helping us put this program together, as well as the City of McKeesport Fire Department. I'm Jason Toger. I'm the Executive Director of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Thank you so much for listening. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated, WEDO Radio, or those of WZUM 1550. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution or find out how you can underwrite this program, please visit our website at TubeCityOnline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple. Apple's iTunes, or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, the Keysport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online.